Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 263 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Didi Ferrari. Didi is a nutrition coach and the head of nutrition at March On. The beauty of this conversation and Didi's message for stop is that she isn't here to soften the edges or to complicate things when it comes to nutrition. She's only interested in simplifying things and delivering the truth to aid people on their journeys and find the nutritional approach that best suits them. It was truly a breath of fresh air. And in this episode, you can expect to learn why psychology and philosophy are so important to nutrition, how much value we should be placing on pre, intra, and post-workout nutrition, along with the advice that Didi gives to a super busy client so they can continue to achieve results despite the nature of their lifestyles. So without further ado, Didi Ferrari. Didi Ferrari, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, I'm good, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. We're very excited to have you on. So for those who may have not come across yourself and the work that you do before, can you explain a little bit about yourself, what it is that you do and who you are? So I'm Didi. I am head of nutrition at March On, which is a private small group training facility in Harpenden, Hertfordshire. We have a pretty strong online community of everybody doing our online training programs. And I myself uh, head up the nutrition and nutrition coaching aspect of the business. And we're just about to open a second site in Stratford, London, which is super exciting for us. Amazing. How's the preparation going for the new facility? I'm not involved in it, but um, I imagine stress levels on on all sides and everyone dealing with it is is slightly high. But I always love like how's it going, and th- there's so many hurdles to to creating um, and building one. So yeah, I can't imagine. I can yeah. I was gonna say I can't imagine, but I also can't imagine it as well. But at the same time, um, very exciting to be branching out, especially to have that one hub and then be ready to go a little bit further, especially more to a London based area. I feel like a facility like that will be welcomed with open arms. It's huge. I've I've been there a long time now and to see us kind of change premises just for our HQ in Harpenden from a smaller place to to next door, which is huge. Like it's been insane, the growth we've had. So it's just an absolute pleasure to be part of it, to be honest. That's amazing. And with the nutrition side of things, will you be overseeing both units or will you just be sticking with the one that you're currently at? This one we're currently at, but I'm sure we will at some point introduce, you know, um, nutrition kind of consultations and, and get the members set up there as well, for sure. 
Amazing. And I want to dig a little bit deeper. So where did the story for yourself personally begin with health and fitness? I'm sure that it was a long way back, but I've seen a couple of transformation photos. So I'm intrigued to go all the way back on where your first interaction with health and fitness really begun and what uh, sparked the love for nutrition that you have today. Well, I was never into sports, fitness growing up, zero kind of athletic ability. I'd still to this day question if I do, to be honest with you, but um, kind of, I think I was 21, to be honest. Everybody that's been through a transformation has that kind of one moment, whether it's a picture or a feeling or a sensation that kind of triggers it. Mm-hmm. I'm no exception. I was in top shop with my um, sister, my, I want to say maybe 18th birthday or something mm-hmm. like that. And I had these two pairs of trousers that I was trying on and she was with me in the changing room. I was like, oh, this doesn't fit and this one doesn't either. And just kind of, I turned to her, I was like, do you think I could do with like losing a little bit of weight? Because I was, I was relatively, in my opinion, uh, overweight at the time. And she just kind of paused. So I was like, oh, okay, fine. Ah. <laughs> so I was like, right. And then she was like, well, you know, like, why don't you start coming to the gym with me? Start improving your health and your fitness. And it really opened my eyes because it's just completely wasn't something that I was aware of. And honestly, just just that never really looked back. I then started having PT sessions with Ollie, who I work for now, back in the day, and I'd never lifted a weight before. So that was a, a complete experience in itself. What a journey that's been. So you said around 21, and how many years has that been now, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I'm 32 now, I believe. So it's been, it's been, a, been a while. <laughs> That's incredible. And from where you begun and to where you see the nutrition and training and fitness industry now, what are some of the major changes that you've seen within that time? Oh God, I mean, really back back in my twenties or if you if you look that far back, the industry was still it still is today. It holds a lot of the stereotypical kind of meal plans, bodybuilding-esque umbilical cords to kind of what people were up to at that time. But I was vegetarian for seven years, vegan for a year. So to see that have developed, like the, that kind of aspect of nutrition has been crazy because, you know, you couldn't find a dairy-free alternative full of no money back then, but now it's kind of huge. I, you know, I've been observant of everything from supplements, from raspberry ketones to, I mean, I feel old saying this, but been there, done that, got all the t-shirts. And yeah, it's it's been incredible to just to witness the changes that has come with that. Absolutely. And I always think the best people to give advice and their expertise on those topics are those who have gone to the extreme side of the spectrum and tried everything and experienced them for what they were. It's not like coming in as a coach now and trying raspberry ketones. It's like you did that to help with your weight loss at the time, right? So we know exactly the same position that our clients are in right now. And we can, yeah, literally say, I've been there and done that. And this is why you potentially shouldn't. So, and on that note, when it came to transitioning your journey into a journey of helping people, what did that transition look like for you? I think the more I educated myself and started doing, you know, courses on nutrition and saw how powerful it was for me, that switch between I, I did the fitness, like I was a few months into that journey, loved it, was seeing great results in kind of my body composition and just lifting weights and strength training. But I was missing a, a massive piece of the puzzle. And all would always tell me every time I turned up to my PT sessions, like, what are you doing with your nutrition? I was like, nah, don't want to know about it. Like, I don't want to weigh anything. I don't want to <laughs> be that person. And lo and behold, you start to to measure a few things, get your head around the figures and you're like, wow, that's what I'm doing behaviorally with food. But to connect those dots was really powerful for me. And I guess that's what I want for everybody else is just that self-awareness. 
Mm. And do you find that you have the same love for the training side of things? So I find that, you know, as coaches, we usually lead one of two of the sides of the equations, either the training that you get very invested in or nutrition. We all seem to have our bias. Why was it not the training? Was it just the level of eye opening that the nutrition did for you? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've been consistent with my training since I started, but I would say from that element of things, I, I enjoy it. I being overweight as a kid, not having any kind of background in sports, it's still something I really do struggle with to find that level of, you see how passionate people are about it. And if I take time off, I'd take time off. Like maybe back <laughs> in the day, I would have stressed about it, but maybe it's because I'm older. I'm just like, I like to train. I like to train with other people. I love the gym and the environment, but I wouldn't say it dry, it's, it's kind of that ingrained because it, it just never was growing up. And I think that's a large part of it, to be honest. Yeah, it does make a huge difference. And on that note with your nutrition today, what does it look like on a day-to-day basis? What does DDE on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis? Well, I'm I'm a lot more intuitive with what I do now from just a, a philosophy around food. Like I said, I've been there, done that, had a thousand-day streak on my fitness pal. I am a walking macro calculator myself. I don't I don't need the information at this point because I am the person teaching it. So that doesn't mean that I have to still every now and then engage in some habits and behaviors that I want to see. Like at the minute, I'm going through a bit of a, a fat loss phase and that is still something I need to be conscious and aware of. So I com- have complete freedom of food. I eat whatever it is I want within moderation towards what my goal is. Try to nail the basics. It's really nothing particularly advanced. Which is the paradoxical thing is that everyone thinks it's meant to be super advanced, but it's actually the super basic things that tend to work. And on that note, you said you had the resistance to the tracking side of things, didn't want to be the person who weighed everything out. Did you ever struggle with your relationship with food or has that always been in a relatively good place? Oh, yeah, 100% I've, I've struggled with it. I, I think as a kid, I, I definitely, I have a sweet tooth, I really do. So being somebody that never... I have a huge appetite. Like I'm five foot nothing. So for me to kind of manage my weight was difficult because, you know, I want to eat 3000 calories on a day, but unfortunately my energy balance and where I'm at height wise, whatever, I just can't, can't kind of get away with that. So yeah, sure. You, you, you end up feeling a little bit restricted in comparison to, you know, seeing some people that can eat a lot more than you. And I think that's what I struggled with having lost a significant amount of weight and knowing what it is to have the depths of to some extent disordered eating at one part of my journey you you don't lose that kind of sensations or those feelings so yeah you it's definitely a journey and a process 100% absolutely and I feel that that's probably inspiring a lot of the way that you speak with your clients today and a core message that I hear you speak about a lot is psychology and philosophy when it comes to nutrition which is very interesting because of if you said those words 10 years ago psychology and philosophy in relation to nutrition people would probably look at you like what are you talking about so can you explain why those two words and are so important to the way that you prescribe and educate people on nutrition today well a lot of people's habits around or, or problems, I should say, around nutrition are relatively superficial in context. Like we'll get people coming to us saying, oh, DD, I overeat chocolate in the evening. Or I, you know, I do this and I'm not happy with it. I'm like, okay, that, that that's fine. But let's understand why. So the why is more the philosophy, right? I, I think when you learn a skill, you go through that process of information, then you learn like what are the fundamentals to it and and why you're fundamentally engaging in that. So I peel back the layers of the onion. That is really the internal questions as to why you're doing what you're doing. It isn't comfortable at all. Nobody likes doing it, but 
if I was to just focus on the superficiality of, of some problems that people come to me with, I'd be a terrible coach because that's not what they need. So yes, I think I can read the text to the subtext when people come to me with those kind of problems. And I've been coaching long enough to really sort of call the BS on what people say as opposed to what they maybe need. So I'm, I'm fairly honest in my approach to just being transparent with, with clients in that way. Mm. And when it comes to the why and then the why behind the why, how do you get people to peel back those layers and to be honest with themselves and honest with you as well? Because I find that it's a really easy thing to say, you know, you just need to find out why it's important to you. But then all these barriers come up and they're like, no, there's nothing going on here. And then all of a sudden there's an open can of worms. So how do you get people to that place where they're willing to dive deep and connect with why they truly want to rather than just saying, yeah, I just want to be a little bit more comfortable in my clothes? Well, it's motivational interviewing. Like once you learn the skill of kind of allowing people to come up with the answers themselves, it doesn't take long before they get to that point. And they they mention a word or two that kind of is like, tell me more about that. And ask why enough and you get to the who, right? Like, why did you do that? Because I did this growing up. Why did you do that growing up? Because I didn't have the, the support. Why didn't you have the support? Because maybe a family member wasn't as present in my life or, or I was I didn't have those behaviours mirrored to me. So you then pick. It's fairly close. It's either a family member, sibling, you know, it's the who really, ultimately, the, the probably the, the latter layer of that onion. And what would you say the next step is once we establish who that person is or why that unproductive mechanism was created? It's it's more just understanding like what, what are the barriers to to achieving like how do we proactively put steps in place to to reframe your thinking because it's an emotional attachment they're ingrained behaviors so until you realize that you have the power and the confidence which a lot of people lack this society is crippled by a lack of self-worth and self-confidence so you have to build somebody up like reveal the layers of the union and then really expose the core elements and be like right okay this is where we're at what can we do? What are you proud of? Like, what what can you achieve in your day or your week that helps you with your nutrition? And it's just reaffirming the positives as opposed to the negatives. Mm, no, I completely agree. And one thing that I found really interesting about your approach is that you actually had a quote or a post on Instagram which mentioned that us as coaches potentially at times are making out like fat losses easier than it actually is. And it's people coming with the idea that, okay. And I almost think that the simplicity of just saying calorie deficit, although it's very true from a a mechanical perspective, we can just say calorie deficit is almost underappreciating the complexity of fat loss beyond just, you know, a nutritional and an energy expenditure standpoint. So can you go into that in a little bit more detail about how you are making people aware that fat loss is more than just calorie deficit and why potentially we are making errors in terms of trying to make it easier than it actually is in reality? Well, nutrition is easy. People are hard. And I think that's the first hurdle you need to get over is to understand that you're not a robot. And I think the fitness industry has very much taught you that you can And it's taught you the ways to understand that, the metrics, the numbers, the tracking, giving you all this data to pretend like you can micromanage that because we love control. We're obsessed with control. Nobody doesn't want to feel out of control. So if they can manage it, but it gets to a point where some people take that to the extreme and they just use it as a way of blocking out or numbing the things that they really need to deal with. So that's also a process in itself. Um, But behaviors, every behavior has a function. So you need to understand what is that function because it serves you somehow positively or negatively. And once you kind of take that external approach, it's a lot less invasive because it's, you get that distance from your thoughts. So you're not, you're not blaming yourself. You're not in your own judgment. You can just be reflective and be like, 
this is what I do from an external, you know, witness, whatever. These are the thoughts and the behaviors I'm employing. How do I change that? So you just get that level of out of your own head to some extent with it. And have you found that nutritional coaching is usually sufficient for the majority of people you work with? Or have you found that sometimes people need to unpack on a little bit of a deeper basis and work with some type of psychologist or counselor or therapist as being advantageous alongside what you do? Or have you found that people are able to become quite empowered once they see the rational, the rationality of the behaviors that they're engaging in? Oh, 100 percent. We know our limitations in, in my scope of practice. I'm, I'm not a clinical psychologist as much as I would love to be, but and I also won't pretend like I've got some sort of doctorate and, and you know, discredit the medical profession by pretending like I know a lot of that stuff, which is why as a coach, you need a, a pretty solid onboarding process and an application to filter out some of the things that you just, you know, you're not really going to be able to help them with. Sometimes that makes, that does take time. You you have a 15 minute, you know, discovery call with them. You just see like, am I the right coach for you? Because that's, that's important. I, I'm, I'm here to make the world a better place, not just prolong the help that somebody needs. Mm. But on that note, would you say that there's the large percentage of people that you encounter do already have it within their power? I know that obviously it's a very subjective question given it's going to be different for every individual, but I'm just wondering how many people will fall into that bracket. Because I think there will be a lot of people who will say, I just can't be helped or, you know, I don't have the tools within me and think that they are out of that percentage of people. So I'm interested to see what your take is, how many people have been successful with you allowing them to discover those tools themselves and giving them the tools that they need. Oh, a million percent. I wouldn't be a successful coach if, if, if I hadn't. And I think a lot of coaches shy away from talking about things that aren't within their lane because they're scared of judgment. And it's it's the same with me talking about elements that maybe aren't just like nutrition science. If I talk about psychology, you don't need a degree to talk about confidence in people. You don't need a degree to talk about macros if you're like a, you know, a PT that doesn't do any nutrition content. So yes, there's an element of like stay in your lane, know your scope of practice, but also what you have to say is, is going to be valid. And a lot of people just want that connection and you need to show that level of vulnerability with them because that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And how much do you use your lived experience with your clients as well? Do people still find you quite relatable today? I know they probably will from your past, but do they still find your tools and techniques relatable based on your being probably if they didn't know you from, or maybe if they've only known you for like two years or something like that, they'll be like, yeah, it's easy for you to say. Do do you ever get resistance from that perspective? I mean, they they don't know my past. And that's not something I present to people, to be honest Mm. with you. Like you did that work, you scroll back and saw that, but I don't post that on a regular basis Mm. because quite frankly, it is irrelevant, you know, that what I've done in my own journey is my own biases. And I don't bring that from a coaching perspective into it. Sure. I have a, a lot of empathy, compassion, and first line experience of what a lot of people go through, but I don't need to tell them that to, to show that, if that makes sense. So yeah, most people, most of my clients don't know my journey. They don't know that I lost you know, half my body weight. They don't know that I then gained 10 kilos. They don't know that I didn't trap a long time ago and that I haven't been in the fitness industry all this time. So at the end of the day, I was a veterinary nurse like six years ago. I've had a complete career change. So Uh (laughs) who knows? From animals to people. Exactly. (laughs) So inevitably you probably get, yeah, the people, the journey started with a lot of your clients and they start to see some of their patterns. They start engaging with the process of nutrition and obviously training as well. And of course, at some point they will experience a setback or two. Have you found any real surefire 
uh, ways of helping people handle those setbacks. Because I feel like that's getting started is not necessarily easy, but it almost seems a lot easier than getting going. I think that people can start a nutritional approach 20 times, but getting back on track 20 times is probably much harder. So do you have any uh, techniques that you found over the years that work for those who find themselves quote unquote falling off the wagon? Well, my coaching is relatively intense. And, and as is Sammy's, our other nutrition coach, we're, we're not superficial people. We want to know the deeper aspects of things. And people don't pay us for information, to be honest with you, Elliot. Like they pay us for the accountability. You have to show up on your screen every week talking to us. You don't escape that. So that's a large part in why it does help because you've got a, a, a length of time in which they have to be accountable to that. So sure, there's only so much that information that we can give and we're only part of somebody's week for 30 minutes in their week. So we can't kid ourselves that we're in the back of their minds 24-7. So doing second forms, keeping keeping that you know that communication line open is a huge part of a coaching process and, and why you will be successful. Do you think accountability is the main key or would you say there's any other things in that scope that have been like kind of the keys to your success with the clients you've worked with? A bit of both. I think the level of, I guess, finesse, but speed at which <laughs> you want to call somebody out on their bullshit, to be honest with you, and it gets to their core quite quickly and you don't really forget that level of journey with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um I like to know a lot about my clients. It's a very, you know, a relationship as such. I know their kids, I know their lives, I know their work, I know their birthdays. Like this is, it's it's more than just a, a static, unemotional, online kind of like just form that they fill in. Like I want to build that rapport with them. So that also helps largely in the process. Absolutely. And do you find that when it comes to like the longer journeys as well, that people are just as forthcoming with being able to be super accountable to show up to those calls every single week. Because I think for three months, it's quite easy to show up to those. But then obviously there's a lot of these, I don't think it would be the case in your situation, but I being a personal trainer years and years ago, and I find that a lot of coaches experience this as well as it becomes a little bit more of a friendship than it does a coach and client relationship, especially when it's been ongoing for a while. So do you have any tips for those people who might find themselves in that trap? If you're showing up every week and you're helping that person, then really who's to question that relationship? Mm. Like, you know your boundaries. The process doesn't really change from that. And I've been coaching some clients for years. That doesn't mean that that's necessarily negative. Sometimes you have to question the length of time in which you're with somebody and, and truly like the value you're adding to their life. If it does just become like a weekly high and a catch up, then really you're not really giving them out much in that. So that's pros and cons to both. But Longevity wise, we 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 do ask for a three minimum, uh, three month minimum contact time when people sign up because we just felt like anything shorter than that just really isn't as as a process and and the problems people come to us with long enough to kind of help sort them out. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I do the same with mine. That I can't see anyone achieving their result and also maintaining it within anything less than three months. Right, and I almost think that. Yeah, the, the line that I would go down is opening up the scope for six months. Because like, I think that depending on the person, obviously, it, it makes a difference. But when it comes to that long-term maintenance, and have you found that switch? I definitely have across the past years in terms of a big foundational switch I've seen is a lot of people are now not just coming to get in shape for the holiday, but they're actually thinking about the holiday. But also, how do I maintain the results after the holiday? Is that a switch you've seen in your work as well? I think that's just a shift in, in where the fitness industry is at. We're, we're less talking about the grind harder mentality, the get quick fixes, the detoxes. I think, and that that is showing at this point, which is which is great. People value themselves more than just like a pre and post picture. So it's nice to see that shift. Yeah, definitely. 
And on that note, you've no, you've mentioned quite a lot that you've not engaged within the transformation pictures and some of the typical things that might make you quote unquote a little bit more uh, popular or a little bit more Instagramable. How have you stayed the course in terms of essentially staying true to what you believe versus getting the temptations of being just like every other coach who is posting X, Y, and Z? I see the smirk coming on your face. I'm looking forward to this answer. <laughs> it's hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It really is. I surround myself with influences and people in the evidence-based industry that don't need to, to use their own bodies to sell that as such. Don't get me wrong. You know, uh, we are about aesthetics. We are about goals. We That's okay to have external kind of motivators and want to just train and, and eat to look good. Like at the end of the day, that's what most people want. So I'm not going to discredit that at all. And and I don't mind people sharing pictures as long as there is a bit of context towards the journey they've been through and not just here and then, because you were just as worthy in that post pre-picture than you are now. And it doesn't really show the coaching process. So Mm, that, that that's just my bugbear and i think it's very easy to to sell yourself out in that in that realm but you the answer to that is it's very difficult because we are still ingrained as an industry in a lot of those behaviors still do you think that it's helped that the shift has become more online in the past few years or so i think obviously when i know that when i was on the gym floor it was like you were constantly a view of just about everyone and in a way, your body was your marketing tool, quote unquote, years ago. But with the shift online, I think that I've definitely not felt, that's two things. I think I've definitely not felt the pressure from that, but more so the fact that I've realized that people aren't coming to me for my body. They're coming for me to, because I helped with their friend's body or their cousin's body or their sister's, for example. Um, so yeah, do you think that that's helped the industry full stop? I mean, it's interesting you say that. I probably would have been inclined to say that more online drives more focus to a, especially mm. Instagram being a visual platform. It's like, as a coach, how do, how do you get clients, especially going through the pandemic and, and maybe you've struggled to keep kind of your business and, and your clients afloat, then you're going to try and show the, you know, the visual enticement and the, and the glitz and the glam of what you can do. And that is sometimes just get this meal plan. It's going to be super easy or, or look what Janet down the street did. She lost 20 kilos in a week. People buy into that. They still, they always will do. So I guess your shift is more of a reflection of you and your coaching and how, you know, you've created that so which is which is obviously lovely but i think that's not maybe the case for quite a lot of people who've probably been more inclined to go down the other way yeah maybe i i, I don't know about you personally but I, I feel like you're probably in the same room as i tried to keep myself in my my own little bubble and be very selective for <laughs> where i consume my content from and yeah perhaps that is and maybe i haven't looked further afield but yeah, that's what that was the realization i had it was like you know at the end of the day it's like i'm gonna keep myself in shape because it's important to me and I'm, it's within my lifestyle, but at the end of the day, my clients, they aren't coming for that. They realistically, they don't care if I'm three to five kilos heavier or lighter right now. And it, they don't want to see me out of shape, but they really don't care if I've got like very defined abs or if I'm holding a little bit of body fat. They care. Is Elliot on the other end of the, the, the communication line when I need him? And is he there to help me? And ultimately I found that that has been, but I know what you mean from an advertising and marketing perspective of where the lines can get blurred a little bit. So yeah, I'm glad to hear that you've been able to stay stay true to your values on that front. It seems to be serving you well as well. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, the day I compromise on, on that will be the day that I just stop coaching because that's just not what I want to do anymore. So that's my definitive. I've changed careers. And if I get to the point where this becomes such a slog that I don't enjoy it anymore and that I really do feel like that that pressure is too much and I can't make a difference to this world, then I'm out. That's just as simple as it is. 
it's great that you have that internal compass because I don't think many people want to. <laughs> <laughs> just have a, a strong, you know, being through what I've been through personally, I have a strong sense of myself and, and I'm not willing to compromise that for anybody, whether that's age or definitely my 20s, I would have given you a different answer, but but not now. Amazing. No, I love that. I love how you've, you've very firm on where you stand with your values. And I think it's refreshing. That's obviously part of the reason why I wanted to speak to you today as well. And on that note, I want to get a little bit more practical with some of the people that you work with. I appreciate there's a lot of, just about everyone is busy these days. And especially the people who come to us as clients, there's a reason why they've come to find a coach because they don't have or they don't feel that they've had the time initially to work out the nutrition side of things themselves, or they've not seen the success that they would like to within their health and fitness. And I've noticed on your page that you are quite a proponent of uh, recommended ready meals every now and again, which from a nutritionist perspective, people might be like, is she really posting that? So I'm very intrigued to get your take on some advice that you have for the busy people out there who maybe don't have time to, or quote unquote, don't have time to focus on their nutrition and how you make it easy for them, even if it seems a little bit unorthodox if you were to look objectively. I think it's people's expectations on what a healthy diet is really. First of all, I just need to understand like, what do you think is is a perfect diet? Because one, there is just no perfect diet at all and really the best plan is one that you can adhere to most most of us know that by now so to set unrealistic goals of you know prepping your food every day we're busy people with busy lives we're not robots so you may as well make life easy for yourself and try and find a level of convenience that matches what you can do granted there has to be some give and take for me personally that's why I don't really kind of do full days of eating one, I can't stand that as a concept, but that's a different Can you dive story. into that quickly? Yeah, I would love to hear that. Can we take a, a left for a second and just go down why you hate the full day of eating or strongly dislike maybe? Nobody needs to eat the way that, like, what I'm eating in a day. Like, I am completely specific to me. My, my Maybe my calorie, my macro goals, they're completely irrelevant to anybody else. And for a lot of people that struggle their, with their relationship with food, they want to gravitate. So they just start mimicking and mirroring things that other people are doing because we just all want to live by rules and, and we find control a lot easier to accept. So sometimes I, I, I have to catch myself and be like, Dee Dee, all you've shown is ready meals or sweets. Like you do eat other things. So probably show a bit of that. But, you know, Aldi has some incredibly high protein, really convenient meals. At most supermarkets, the, the shift I've seen over the years is definitely listen to what can consumers want in terms of one just having a little bit more protein in some products i mean you, we probably struggle to find something that doesn't have the word protein slapped over it at this point but it is it is a lot easier now to, to, to kind of incorporate a level of flexibility but not just be eating junk food all the time for the sake of it is there any question marks around the quality of food i know that ultimately it's better than a client eating mcdonald's or whatever they can get off delivery but is there any question marks around that or is it like something needs to give of course, if that's all you're eating in a day. And I think if you're not incorporating, you know, a balance of a breakfast and a lunch alongside the one meal, ready meal that you've had in a day, then sure, it's going to be out of whack. I don't eat three ready meals a day, you know. Even I feel that that's the type of advice people take on board sometimes, right? They're like, oh, did you recommend ready meals? That's that's fuel for breakfast, ready meal for lunch yeah. and then dinner as well. Yeah, it is. It is. And But it's kind of like, what can you actually realistically achieve? Can you prep some overnight oats? Can you get some yogurt with some protein in for your breakfast? Do you really enjoy like something from M&S at lunch? Okay, well, maybe let's let's see where we can just move the dial and get your behaviors a little bit better and more whole food approached. And sure, if you need to grab a, a, a convenience meal from the freezer that is 
calorie controlled and portion controlled, then then fine, that, that still fits our goal. But everybody is different and, and that's kind of, yeah, where, where the advice working one-to-one bespokely with people helps because you just get to understand what the give and take is there. Sure. And you mentioned that you were vegetarian for some years and vegan for a year as well. Do you find that those options are still quite openly available for vegetarians or vegans or are they still lacking a little bit in that department? Oh God, it's so much better now. I mean, mm. it's, it's interesting. I've gone the other way as opposed to vice versa and not gone more down vegan vegetarianism, but I think it was just a stupid, not a stupid rule at all. I, I was felt like that was in line with my values at the time. And it, to be honest, it wasn't because I think it was just a form of restriction. And when a lot of people come to me with labelings on their diets where they are vegetarian or vegan or they've excluded things, I always question that to the extent of like, you've got to convince me that this is truly for ethical and moral reasons. Otherwise, this is just another restrictive element to your diet. And I just really do like meat and fish. So it was silly to kind of abstain from that for so long. But when you are such a a resilient person and you just stick to something, you don't question it, but it, it helped me my relationship with food a lot. So I think that's just a shift I personally saw. Yeah. Can you go into a little bit more depth, just because I know there'll be a lot of people out there who have maybe watched the Game Changers documentary or another Netflix documentary and you'd be like, oh, you know, it's time to go vegan or it's time to go all in with being vegetarian, which might not be the most super productive thing for the health. I was having a story with a conversation with Emma Story Gordon. We were talking about how maybe just being more conscious with your meat intake, where you're getting it from and yeah, being essentially just more conscious versus going to the opposite end of the spectrum. And if it's from an environmental perspective, Perspective, you could be doing more damage by eating all of these, you know, chemically created vegan products. So I'm keen to hear about what your transition looked like and how potentially you could help people through that journey if they think actually maybe it might be worth my while to introduce a little bit of fish and meat. Well, I believe everybody's diet should be plant centric. We all should be. We should all be focusing on nutrition around whole foods, 100%. And a large majority of that should be from plant-based foods. And then the incorporation of, of your protein choices or whatever should dictate what you're comfortable with. And I'm like, I'm guilty of that too. I've watched every documentary there is when it comes to that. And it do, you can't you can't not watch Blackfish and Game Changers without going even 10 mm. years into coaching yeah. that. <laughs> I should go back to it. Because it's highly emotive, very biased, very um Very you know convincing. what they're doing yeah. yeah exactly there's just largely a lot of, of evidence to be questioned there and it's why people like lane norton and, and the evidence-based world they do well to quickly kind of just assess really where the world is at with those things but yes you also have the fitness industry where it's now normalized to eat like 300 grams of protein in one meal and half a cow so where you know where's the balance in that and Yes, I think we should all be responsible. We all have a, a place on this planet and we, we want to ensure that it's preserved for as long as possible. And that's, you know, I, I, I love the environment I, and I love animals. You know, I spent a large part of my life dedicating to saving their lives. So it was definitely a, a, not a tough, de- well, it was a tough decision. I was going to go on seven years being vegetarian, but I really just restricted my choices. All I ended up eating was like egg whites, protein powder and the classic, you know, protein foods because I was trying to hit a target and I just found that personally difficult at the time given what I had available back in you know 10 or plus years ago whereas now I'd find it easier and how much meat and fish do you consume on a week-to-week basis now um I usually have you know either probably chicken or fish for for two of my meals usually breakfast doesn't really contain anything I'll, I'll usually have like yogurt or maybe put some protein powder into some oats but yeah it, it's it's 
probably something I, I could do a bit more of, but I think I'm still catching up on seven years, to be honest, of, of um, you know, I, I do enjoy it. And, and eating out is a, an experience where I'll, I'll pick things. I'm not a great chef at all. So, yeah, I stick to what I know and try not to be a dick about the planet at the same time. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think we just got to choose the battles that we're willing to fight. And ultimately, I know where my protein consumption is. And I feel that I probably will be a little bit more plant centric later into my life. But right now, I'm just choosing to be a little bit more conscious, not, again, consuming 300 grams in one meal and choosing the tomahawk steak every time I eat out. And I think, yeah, that, that served me pretty well. And I, it's an interesting switch. And I think that obviously, to come back to center, quite often, we have to go to the other side of the spectrum. And that's where I feel potentially the industry with veganism, vegetarianism is going at the moment, but for good reason. You know, I don't think, like you said, they get enough care or attention for a very long time so hopefully that comes back to this a little bit more of okay how about we just include a little bit of everything and i you know that that's where i stand on that personally but with that being said i want to come back to like the more practical elements that you give to some of your busier clients so obviously ready meals is one that we went into what are some other really key efficiency-based nutritional approaches i dare i use the word hack (laughs) you give to some of your clients well, when it comes to kind of just being calorie controlled, you just do have to look at portion sizes. So whatever method they think that they can do, whether that's putting them into containers, having leftovers for the next day is a super easy way, or just having the supermarkets that they go to and, and based on my level of knowledge, because I spend half my life in them, knowing kind of what products they're probably going to do well with, whether that is, oh, I really love prawns, all right? Well, there's a great prawn in Greenie from here. Have you tried that? And just molding it to their preferences, but ready meals, even meal prep services, like fine. If they want to have a protein shake in the morning and blend that with some oats because they don't have time to eat a full meal and that's just breakfast isn't really their thing, then fine. If their goal is, you know, it depends on what the goal is. If it's a muscle growth client performance or fat loss, it's kind of context depending on that too. Absolutely. You mentioned the people who don't have a lot of time in the morning. I know I have a lot of clients who train first thing in the morning. So I've got two questions here. The first is regarding peri-workout nutrition. The second is regarding those who maybe want to train first thing in the morning, what your options are for those who are training fasted, or maybe some options for those who like to have a little bit of something. Let's start there. What advice would you give someone who's an AM trainee who wants to fast? Is there anything that they need to do to optimize their training and also their post-workout window? And then the second would be, if someone wants to eat, what's probably the best thing they can eat if they're training first thing in the day? If you want to train first thing, there's something easily digestible. I mean, like a banana or something that's going to give them about 30-ish, 40-ish grams of carbohydrates based on your body weight at that point. Normally about half a gram per kg for carbs before a training session is advisable, whatever that looks like. Um, For me, that might be like a mini serene or a a crumpet just before I walk out the door to go to a session if I was training at like six. And yeah, you're right. A lot of people do. From a performance perspective, Training fasted is never is never going to be the most advisable route, but also if that's what the client prefers, then I'm not here to push my own biases onto them. I'm here to just say, look, the science shows that having a little bit of carbohydrates on board is going to help. If they want to train fasted, then fine. To from, from muscle mass perspective, I think it's like 10 grams of whey can help kind of blunt the help with the anabolic response to that in terms of just blunting any you know muscle usage during during your training session because you, you don't want to deplete your glycogen stores that much because essentially, you know, you've got your muscle glycogen to get through. Overnight, your liver glycogen gets used up. You, your muscle stores are still there, but you're going to get through them pretty quickly, especially if it's a, a pretty brutal session. And our training programs are, are not 
you know, to, to on on the easy scale, scale of things. So yeah. <laughs> faint-hearted. So yeah, anybody on our training programs kind of knows the draw. That's like if you want to train faster, then fine, but you better show up with maybe some electrolytes, a bit of um glycogen from from a liquid perspective, whether that's you know glucosate or whatever and a pre-training snack or at least be able to replenish that pretty quickly afterwards so it doesn't impact the rest of your day yeah would that be the same advice you give for those who maybe struggle with the digestion side of things of moving straight into a training session after even if something as small as banana i think people seem to think that all they can eat is a massive bowl of oats or their breakfast or nothing at all so there's an intermediate you can play around with it pick what feels comfortable something like a you know a, a, a bagel thin a crumpet it's going to be enough to just kind of stimulate some of the digestive process and maybe give you a bit of fuel on board for it, as opposed to, you know, you, you normal like 80, 100 grams of oats that you'd probably have if you weren't training. Have you noticed the difference between having that and not having that? In my mind right now, I, if I'm honest, I typically train faster if I train that early in the morning. I choose not to eat. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested personally. Do you notice that big of a difference with just those 30 grams in your system? Uh, yes. I mean, Personally, my preference for training is more in the afternoon time. So, but a lot of people are like on our performance nutrition course that have done the PNC. Like, they the, all we get is people's showing that actually it does help them, and they've gotten over that kind of barrier because they've just convinced themselves that they feel better if they're fasted. But when they try it and they they allow themselves that flexibility to try and try something new, step out of that comfort zone, you feel a lot more energized. You have more fuel on board to get through actually what's demanded of your body mm, and i think there's that temptation of being like oh you know i'm gonna be more productive in my fat loss pursuits if i don't eat anything but at the same time it's like your performance is 20 percent better when you actually get the chance to put some carbohydrates in your system like yeah. the carbohydrates you put in are probably nullified by the performance increase you get from that if you know if you're noticing that much of a difference right actually and, and- nobody's just training well at least i hope that there's an end you know there's a goal to it and an intent behind it so if that is to grow muscle then you know training fasted one's not going to be preferable because you need to stimulate as much muscle growth and you need carbohydrates to, to help you do that so one what's what what are we trying to achieve with this if it's fat loss then we know that you know it is staying within a calorie deficit managing your energy intake versus your output and playing the long strategy in the long game with it and then when it comes to intra-workout nutrition and post-workout nutrition, what are your general advice for those potentially within the fat loss phase at the moment and then coming into muscle building as well? So for fat loss, do you need something intra-workout? Probably not, if I'm honest. A lot of people really aren't working to the level of intensity they need to. If it's a 90-minute session, sure, you might want to get um, a handful of sweets, Still probably around that like 20, 30 gram mark of carbohydrates, which is about, you know, like five Percy pigs, a mini serene or something of that nature, because you want your your carbohydrate choice to be pretty fat acting in terms of simple sugars. And you also, in towards the 90, 90 minute aspect, want a combination of fructose and glucose. So a little bit of a fruit aspect of things is going to help as well from, from that uh, performance benefit. Any value in getting a little bit of protein in when we get to that stage of the workout as well? Or no? Yeah, that's kind of why I said like if you're training faster in the morning, having a little bit can help with that response. It doesn't need to be a full like 20, 25 gram serving of you know whey powder, but like 10 grams, I'm pretty sure the evidence shows that, that that's kind of enough to help get you until your next protein feeding when you can you know, obviously stimulate the MPS a little bit more. Mm. Protein synthesis. And then post-workout? 
you want to focus on recovery. So you want to replenish the glycogen that you've used and you want to ensure that your protein feedings, I guess, are, are you know, every three to four hours and you are spiking that with an amount of protein that is going to spike that, not just like a, because for a lot of people, like a protein bar, sometimes it isn't going to be enough of an amino acid response to, to, to stimulate that. So one, it has to be in a mixed meal, 0.5 grams per kg of carbs off its way, then 0.3 grams per kg of, of, of leucine from, from your protein sources to hit that response. Mm. And then I assume with muscle bone clients, it's just a case of trying to increase the amount of carbohydrates having the protein will probably stay relatively similar. What's it words like? Protein is protein. There really isn't much benefit to going over a maximal amount. To be honest, the body is only going to use a certain amount for MPS and and anything else is a plus. But again, like you don't need to drown yourself in it. All you're going to be doing is just onboarding more calories that would probably be better suited to carbohydrates and fats. Yeah, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And on the note of the busy individuals that we work with, quite often they're busy because they also have children as well. And I saw a post that you gave on kids' nutritional advice. And I know that you said, I don't have children. So this is why I usually hesitate to speak about that topic. But I thought, I think it was like six or seven points that you put on the Instagram post that I thought were tremendous. I'm again, not a parent either, but it's kind of the advice that I lean on quite a lot. So can you go through your advice for those? And again, <laughs> speaking from a non-parent perspective, the advice that you give to your clients who want to get their children to start eating a little bit, you know, in, in line with their new goals that they're having, or just grow up and be a healthy child that's not overweight or has an unhealthy relationship with food. I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah. And, and when I'm dealing with people, the focus really is on you are, you are the model here and Children mirror so many of our of behaviors, even our language, that language around food is, is critical at that at that early development stage. And eating together is such an important part. The way that you advise them to listen to their hunger cues is super important because you know, I, I grew up having starving children in Africa. I had to clear my plate. And, and there's a lot of ingrained talk about from older generations, particularly still now, whether we've got grandparents or, you know, aunties and uncles that may still be from that pee plate, people please show respect out of consuming everything mentality that can lead 20, 30 years down the line with a coaching client coming to me with some of those still ingrained issues. Yeah, it's, it's a challenging one. It's just like, you know, as you mentioned earlier with the bodybuilding philosophy staying true standing the test of time unfortunately when it comes to nutrition and training advice is the same with those narratives that are continuing to play out and i think like you said modeling it is probably the most important thing that you can do i think the one thing that i like to enlighten my clients with is that you know how long have you been on this journey for they're like i'm so frustrated that my kid won't be eating like this and like how long have you been eating like this and like oh, three months and like it's gonna probably take a little bit longer than that right mm. Yeah, we're we're still dealing with habits and behaviors we've had for 20 plus years. So we have to have a level of compassion in sure if you're at a point where you recognize things aren't great and you want to make a difference for your children's benefit as well as yours, then amazing. There's, you know, don't delay that process, I guess is my only my only advice on that front. And the conversation around nutrition, of course, I know a lot of children, uh, parents, I would say, are concerned about giving them children, like the relationship with food or these rules around food that they had. What advice would you give to the parents who want to have that conversation about nutrition and how to approach it in a informative but delicate manner to ensure that they don't kind of place those same labels that they grew up with? 
Get them involved in the cooking process. Like nothing should ever be metric focused or, you know, this is good and bad. Like you really have to be specific on the, the adjectives you're using around food. And as adults around the food table, it can be so easy. Like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not having this or that. Especially as women, I find a lot when, when we come from a kind of a low fat or a low carb aspect, you know, you get children literally saying, why isn't mummy having potatoes today? Or why are they eating differently? So you have to be super inclusive of them explain why things what why that why behind your cooking like why have you got a range of colors why do they need that particular vegetable why do they need protein in their diets but again it, it depends on the age of, of the child in question and yeah well, kind of what level you can get them involved in in the cooking just educating them from like the why behind things instead of just dictating like this is what you're eating okay well child isn't going to really pick up on on learning a lot from that as a behavior no, that totally makes sense as well. And this has all been super, super informative. I've got a couple of final questions. And one of my last ones is with the work that you've done, you've probably worked with hundreds, if not thousands of people now. What is the impact that you want to leave on the health and fitness industry? I want people to feel at peace with food. And I want people to accept that it's okay to ask for help and to show that level of vulnerability. And I, don't know, I guess I, w- I want my legacy just to be somebody that pushed for change within an industry which still, still has a lot of disordered habits, a lot of lack of self-compassion and a lack of self-confidence. I want people to feel like through the coaching that they got that from me and what I create in terms of content and what I talk about. That's a beautiful answer. And I feel like you're doing a very, very amazing job at it. And on that note, where can people find you online and where can they connect with you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? I mean, this is where I slightly regret my like 10 plus year old Instagram handle, but it's, <laughs> it's Diddles for Rizzle. So D-I-D-E-L-S-F-E-R-R-I-Z-L-E. I, sorry, yes. Or you can find me on the March on page every Tuesday. Um, myself or Sammy do the takeover for nutrition there. But if you follow March on and you follow me, chances are we're going to come into contact somehow. And yeah, marchonnutrition.co.uk is where you can find info on our services. Amazing. Yeah, it's like having one of those old cringy email addresses that you made when you're like 16 years old. <laughs> mm, I bet you have one. What, what was yours? Oh, what was mine? I think it was like like something i was into skateboarding and stuff like that back in the day so it was probably like cool dude 18 or something (laughs) nice i like it everyone finds elliot at cool dude 18 i was gonna say i hope it's not um still active and people start sending their inquiries there but anyway it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom thank you very much for having me it's a pleasure to chat to you my pleasure was mine take care we'll speak soon And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. To reach out to me on social media, you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.